Welcome to this podcast from BMJ Open. I'm Trish Groves and I'm the Editor-in-Chief. With me today is Ellen Collins from the Research Information Network to tell us about a study which has been published in BMJ Open. Welcome, Ellen. Thanks, Trish. First of all, can you tell us what the Research Information Network does? The Research Information Network is a little policy consultancy working on scholarly communications. And we're commissioned by clients like you and others, uh, publishers, libraries, research councils, other funders, to try and understand some of the changes that are happening in the way that people prefer to communicate their research and to think about how we can support researchers to share their findings in the way that they want to. So BMJ commissioned this study from you. Um, BMJ has more than 50 journals, including the BMJ and BMJ Open, and those two journals publish all the research with open access. All the other journals offer an open access option. So as a group, BMJ was interested in what's happening with funders and their policies towards open access. Now, this study was just with funders in the UK. Can you tell us why open access has become a big deal in the UK recently? Well, about 18 months ago, um, a group called the Finch Group reported uh, on the basis of a sort of eight-month deliberation process and consultation process, which was looking at open access. That group was commissioned by David Willits, by the government, the Minister for um, Higher Education. And it was instructed to look at uh, the viability of moving to an open access environment. Since then, government agencies have been focusing on how to support open access. This review came out very strongly in favour of moving to an open access model. Um, And so that includes uh, the Medical Research Council, which is a big funder of medical research in the UK, the National Institute for Health Research, and the Wellcome Trust, which is not government funded, but has been a big mover and shaker in the open access world and has been pushing for this for a long time. So it's really high on the agenda at the moment. Following the Finch report, The government provided a fairly significant sum of money to the UK research councils, which they are using to move us from a world where we publish based on a subscription business model to a world where we publish based on open access models where the author, or rather the author's funder, pays a fee. Uh, The Wellcome Trust has been providing these kinds of funds for some time and uh, the the government also provided some money to individual universities to support the transition process. So this study was really looking at how the funders that I've mentioned but also other funders of medical research charities um, and other funders who are being caught up in this move towards open access are dealing with the changes and what their priorities are. So what other sorts of funders did you interview? Well, we talked to a number of medical research charities. We talked to some quite big ones who've had uh, a degree of involvement with open access for a while, who've had maybe policies around open access, who've provided a little bit of money to underpin a move towards open access. We also talked to some smaller charities who are maybe uh, a little bit further behind on this, who perhaps don't have a member of staff whose job it is to look after publication strategies for the research that they fund. And we also talked to some commercial research funders too, some um, some medical companies, some, some drug companies actually, uh, to try and understand where they're coming from. Because obviously if researchers are operating in an environment now where open access is much more of a, a concern for them... Uh, they will need their funders to be supportive of that. And if you are a researcher who's working on a drug trial, for example, and you feel you want to publish in open access because that's the way that your sector seems to be going, you need to know that your funder is going to be supportive of that. 
So you approached in all 10 UK funders. So um, how did you actually do the survey? Right. Well, the, the research was a, a qualitative piece of research. So it was in-depth interviews. Um, and as you say, we spoke to representatives of 10 funders, 12 people altogether, because some of the bigger funders have uh, more of a focus on this and therefore we wanted to capture different perspectives. Um, we approached, uh, obviously, the bigger funders that we knew were going to have viewpoints on this, the Wellcome Trust, the Medical Research Council, the National Institute of Health Research, who've who've all been pushing for this for some time. We then selected, as I said, some charities that we felt would be fairly engaged with this agenda and some that we felt would be less so. We also spoke to the Association of Medical Research Charities, which is an umbrella body representing about 170 organisations. So they were able to give us some useful perspectives. And the interviews really focused, as we've talked about, on open access, but also on some of the other priorities that research funders might have for scholarly communications, for how the findings of the research that they fund are made available. So what did you find? What did we find? Well, we found, and and this probably won't be a big surprise, uh, a great deal of diversity. The the funders who are committed to open access are really committed to open access. They are keen to see um, a successful uh, and sustainable open access market develop. They want to see publishers engaging with these issues, not just viewing this as a new revenue stream, but rather seeking to transform their business models so that open access publishing becomes sustainable and researchers are not paying inflated fees. Uh, That's very important to them. The smaller charities that we spoke to, well, actually most of the charities that we spoke to were finding this to be a slightly newer concern for them. And some of them were were concerned that it's not a business model that they're currently able to sustain uh, for various reasons, but partly because, um, particularly when they have focuses other than research, the price of the charge that publishers ask their uh, authors to pay in order to support the the whole business of publishing an article and all of the work that goes into that for a charity is a new cost and it's quite a high cost and a lot of them talked about open access as um, being very good for research but they're not it's not proven yet as far as they're concerned that it's very good for patients and where you are a charity that is trying to do both research and patient support you have to think is that £1,800 or whatever it is that I'm being asked to pay uh, going to represent better value as making something open access or producing a summary or a patient information leaflet or something like that? So for them, it's a little bit more complicated um, to think about the value of open access. They, they, what a lot of them said is that while they personally might be very supportive of that, there are other people in the organisation who perhaps don't understand the value of open access and don't want to see that money, which has been raised through, you know, very hard work by their fundraising teams, they don't necessarily want to see that go into something where they can't see the value of it to the the patients that they're trying to support. Were the funders aware that some journals offer waivers and discounts and all that? Well, interestingly, they... A lot of them didn't seem to be very aware of that. They, they didn't necessarily understand all of the mechanics. And, and it's a very complex area. And they they did say, you know, it's, it's terribly hard to keep up with all the different publishers and their offers. Um, you know, that there, there's not a consistency across different publishers in terms of the policies around when you get asked to pay, what you're asked to pay, what kinds of license you're allowed to use. 
what the research can do with the article once it's been published in open access. So they they find it quite confusing and they find that their researchers find it quite confusing and some of them are quite concerned that the researchers are coming back to them, the charities or the funders, and saying we're not sure what to do about this. The funder is not sure what to do about this and so it's quite a, a complex area for them to be involved with. So digging a bit deeper, were there other findings that you want to highlight? Well, I think I, I think it's important to say that for a lot of uh, the people we spoke to, open access was just one of many considerations. And obviously, you know, as we've said, the study was prompted by uh, the fact that politically it's become very big news in the UK. But when we talked to researchers, the, the, the commercial um, funders we talked to, for example, were much more concerned with the issue of data and sharing data and protocols. The Some of the uh, charities that we spoke to were also very concerned about data while recognising that's a terribly difficult area and there's a lot of work still be, to be done on that. They were also quite concerned about sharing negative findings. So that is trials that didn't work or trials that worked but didn't find anything substantial. And this is particularly important for charities um, working on more niche diseases or niche areas because they feel there is a danger of research being repeat, repeated unnecessarily because it, the, the fact that this research has already been done has never been shared because journals don't want to publish it. There was a little bit of crossover with open access and they, they said perhaps open access journals are a good outlet for this where you have a journal that's reviewing for scientific quality but not necessarily relevance or significance that could be a good place for some of these findings to go but I think it's important to recognize that open access is is part of a much bigger developing environment of scholarly communications and for the funders that's something that's very much on their mind. So did you come up with some uh, recommendations or sort of conclusions that would take this forward? Yeah, I think that the, the the major recommendation that we came up with, and it's not an easy one to implement by any stretch of the imagination, is that publishers need to be working together and they need to be working together to be clear about what they are offering. The funders want to see transparency. They want to know where their money is going and they want to know what it's paying for. They want to know that as the burden of supporting, financially supporting the publishing process moves from subscriptions to paying these author charges, that there's going to be a balance, that those income streams are going to replace each other rather than supplementing each other. So there is a job of work for publishers to do to show that they're genuinely engaged with this and that they are they're committed to the aims of open access as well as the process of open access. I suppose the other major finding is that we need to start thinking beyond open access and looking at some of the other ways that, that funders want to support the researchers that they fund and to support sharing the findings of the research that they fund. And that, again, is not a not an easy job. Uh, it's a big job, but um, it's certainly something that, that publishers need to think about. The other thing that uh, I think is quite important is getting a sense of what is happening with open access and how it's how open access supports issues beyond scholarly communication. So is it supporting patients? Can we capture some of that information about who's using this content and how? Because that, for the, for the funders we spoke to, is very important in terms of building an argument internally for paying open access fees and supporting that, the development of that policy. Um, and I think there's also some work to be done in terms of supporting researchers uh, that these funders are, are paying to do their work. 
Funders want to track what the researchers they fund are doing and initiatives like ORCID, which is a unique identifier system for researchers, like FundREF, which is a way of uh, consistently identifying individual funders, those are very valuable to, to the funders and anything that publishers can do to implement that and researchers can do to acknowledge that when they submit their articles is going to be welcomed by the funders that we spoke to. So there's plenty of food here for thought. Thank you very much indeed. And that was Ellen Collins from the Research Information Network talking about her paper in BMJ Open.